As warrior dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, we need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, it's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Uh, just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mike Simpson. Um, Mike was introduced to me by Tim Kennedy, and he and... Tim worked together for quite a long time at a company called Sheepdog Response. And when I learned who Mike was, started looking into him a little bit more, I knew I wanted to get him on the show. And I have a ton of questions for him. I think you guys are going to get a lot of value out of this episode, as I hope you do with every episode. Um, so before I bring him on, let me do a quick intro for him, and then we're going to get right into it. Mike Simpson has served <clears throat> excuse me, over three decades in the military as an Airborne Ranger and Special Forces operate, Operator and as Doctor of Emergency Medicine assigned to the Joint Special Operations Command. Throughout his career, Mike has deployed to 17 different countries from counter-narcotics operations in the jungles of South America to the global war on terror in Southwest Asia and North Africa. Specializing in both rural and urban reconnaissance, Mike has worked directly with law enforcement and intelligence organizations around the world, including clandestine and classified black ops, in order to bring criminals and terrorists to justice. That is quite an intro, Mike. That is quite a series <laughs> of things to put on your resume, but thank you so much for coming on the Warrior Dads podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. I am so much cooler online. I think my, my kids would probably tell you. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just, I mean, it says over three decades, but exactly how long were you, were you involved in the military? Uh, so depending, I, I first raised my right hand. Well, I first raised my right hand in 1983 to go on delayed entry. And then I first raised okay. my right hand and then got on a bus and shaved my head and put on a uniform in 1984. Um, I was always, uh, I always had a haircut and a uniform, uh, from 1984 to 2016. Now, part of that time, uh, a very, very brief period of that time was in the Florida National Guard between my, my first enlistment and my second enlistment. And then depending on how you stack up my time when I attended the Uniformed Services University, I, I have a really, just without making a long story even longer, basically when I retired, I had to have multiple experts weigh in on how much time I had for retirement 
and then and then in the end ultimately actually they did even though all the paperwork was right they did get it wrong and they tried to pay me for four less years and i actually had to get uh, senator ted cruz's office involved to to get them to kind of recognize their mistake and a lot wow. of that yeah it's 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 confusing and not it, we could do a whole episode on, just on it and it's not really worth exploring but basically yeah. because i went to medical school at the uniform services university which uh you you're on active duty while you're going to school but they've uh they've created this little gray area where it's uh do those years count or not and basically they, they only count after you've gone over a certain time you have to have a letter to show it. it's it's really strange it's uh it's it's about a four-beer conversation telling you about <laughs> the the inception of that university kind of a classic example of many 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 years ago the the some people in the government kind of really quick stood something up with a lot of temporary measures in place and they've never fixed those problems uh administratively they've never fixed those problems but again that's a that's a whole other show or series of shows yeah <laughs> wow so 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 the short answer is we'll, we'll call it 32 years 84 to 2016 there you go <laughs> yeah. okay and when did you start your family uh okay uh <laughs> Like like most like most military guys, I didn't. Uh, it, that's that's one thing I wasn't uh, really successful at in my first go round. Oh, okay. So um, uh, I have two sons. Uh, Zachariah is seventeen. Daniel is eleven. Um, but uh, my my wife, best friend, uh, soulmate, the woman I will go through eternity with. Uh, my wife uh, Denise and I were uh, married in uh, two thousand ten. So. Okay. Um, so 2010. So one. Okay. Yeah. So Just doing the math. Yeah. So, so 2010. So, but you were still in for another six years. Yeah. After you mm -hmm. had gotten together with her, but you were in for quite a while when you had. Is it Zachariah? He said. 17? Yeah. He's 17 yeah. now. Yeah. So how? So I mean, you went from being a ranger, right, mm -hmm. into SF, which is Special mm -hmm. Forces, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And then went into medical school, mm -hmm. if I remember right. And so yes. when, um, so when you had Zachariah, how how was that? Like you you just mentioned, uh, I guess like a key point where you said a lot of guys mm -hmm. aren't successful with that the first <laughs> go around. Yeah. How was that having Zach, and then? still being in the military did you have any deployments after that what was that uh, like i did ba balancing uh, father new fatherhood and then being uh, in the elite elite units of helping out the military um it, it was it was challenging it uh zach was born um actually at a very kind of opportune and convenient time for me because i was uh i was uh, still in sf um i had I was a senior medic in the company. In fact, I was the senior medic in the company at the time. And I had transitioned to do uh, a year of what they call B team time. So that's uh, time in the company headquarters. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which gave me a little bit more flexibility because I was on the B team and, and Zach was born while I was on the B team, but, but very much at the end of that, uh, at that tour. So basically Zach was born and right after he was born, I went back to a team again and I uh, ended up going back to a team and uh, doing one deployment uh, as team sergeant uh, and then uh, 
going across the hall to the Halo team and doing another deployment pretty much right after that, which was an, actually an extended deployment because we went in theater uh, to to run a course to to train uh, some some counter narcotics troops. Uh, and then went immediately from there actually to Honduras to do uh, what they at the time they were calling combat environmental training, which was basically a, a one a month long training event that we did in the in the jungles of Honduras. So it was really two deployments back to back. So wow. and this was this was all in Zach's first year of birth. Um, I was pretty fortunate in that you know I I yeah I had to do those uh, two deployments uh, and. Uh, that that was challenging, uh, obviously, but uh, right after that, I went into to medical school. I was in medical school in two thousand two, um, so kind of for the formative Zach's formative years, uh, I didn't have to worry about being gone uh, at least outside of U.S. soil for extended periods of time. Yeah. Um, now all that all that changed, of course, after after medical school. Uh, after uh, residency in emergency medicine, uh, by the time my youngest Daniel was born, um, and I separated and ultimately uh, divorced from their mother, uh, that's when the global war on terror deployments just started up. So it was a little bit, it, it was a little bit of a different animal for me because having two kids who I wasn't living under the same roof with, and they were used to, you know, I was living in North Carolina, they were living in Texas at the time. So, uh, the only real kind of difference for them were dad's phone calls are coming on a satellite phone with kind of a funny noise in the background, uh, calling from Iraq or Afghanistan, wherever that might be. Um, so I think, especially for my youngest, I don't think that fully, uh, fully sunk in, uh, Zach being very aware of the global situation, what was going on, um, he was a little bit, uh, when it, especially when it ramped up to my, my first deployment out of residency, uh, he was a little bit nervous about that. And, yeah. uh, and that, you know, that, that did, there were some conversations that had to take place there about where I was going, uh, what I was going to be doing and why it was important. And, uh, you know, measures that I was going to take for my own safety, why I didn't want him to lose sleep about the fact that, uh, that I'm, I'm going to a combat zone and, and things like that. Yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, stuff like this doesn't really get portrayed too much in the in the movies and the TV shows with this particular aspect, like uh, when there's a military situation involved. But I mean, being away from that long, was it more like when you came home, it's kind of like how you see in the commercials where the kids are super happy to see the dad or did it negatively affect the relationship in any way? Um, I never had any any negative effects, you know, kind of like uh, all dads it, never around type thing and all that, like, you know kind of how they how they do that when the dad's not around and this and that and like mm -hmm. you know you know you you were never around this and that so i just didn't know i mean it sounds like it sounds like everything's good and you know of course yeah. the kids miss you because they're afraid you know it's not just yeah. that you're blowing them off because you're too busy doing other stuff mm -hmm. you know I mean, you're, you're saving the world yeah and both of my kids have a, a really firm understanding of uh you know why i was doing what i was doing and why we had to spend time apart you know it wasn't uh I wasn't running a running a bar somewhere down in the Keys or something like that, you know, having having a good having a midlife crisis and a good time. This was uh, I was I was doing my job and I was being uh, part of something larger than myself, and that's something that that I always tried to instill in them uh, that you know they uh, you know, family is the most important thing in the world to me, um, but a part of that is is ensuring 
their safety and the safety of their children and their children, and their children for generations to come. So that means giving a part of myself to something larger. And uh, I've always tried to instill that in both of them. Are you encouraging both of them to join the military? Actually, not not at all. I'm not not trying to discourage. I'm not trying to encourage. Uh, I really don't weigh in on it. Uh, my thought process being that was something that I found completely for myself. I didn't uh, I didn't have any active military role models growing up uh, in my family. Uh, my I, my dad was in the uh, United States Navy years, uh, almost a decade before my birth. Uh, and it wasn't something that we really talked about a lot. So it, it was something that I kind of figured out on my own journey that, that something that I wanted to do and I was suited for. And I always felt like, uh, that if the, it was something they were going to do, that it, it had to be the same way mm-hmm. too, too far too often. Um, and, and I can, I can point to multiple, uh, I could call out multiple individuals and potentially uh, embarrass them, and I don't want to do that. But there were several times in my career that I encountered uh, individuals who were really solely in the military because they were following in their father's footsteps. One, uh, one in particular, uh, his father had been uh, one of the founding members uh, of Delta Force, uh, and wow. the kid, w- the kid was well, and the and to be honest, the kid was a horrendously bad soldier we ended up kicking him out of the range battalion uh years oh, so later you were with him so yeah actually yeah yeah this this uh, he was in in my section actually wow. years years later we had a, another kid came in whose father was uh not at the time but since i think his, his father has actually been inducted into the ranger hall of fame uh very well-known ranger uh, exception vietnam veteran exceptional reputation in the ranger regiment and this was a kid who lasted uh, a matter of a month uh, in the Ranger Battalion before getting his walking papers, and I I remember looking at those kind of from the outside at the time, and I'm not I'm not classifying everyone who f- falls into that category in the same basket by any means, but I remember thinking of both of these guys like you know they're only here I, I bet they were basically p- pressured into this they're they were either pressured into this actively their whole life or there was a void there. Right. Because dad was gone all the time. And this is a way to seek dad's approval, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of be an armchair uh, psychiatrist at the time. I remember thinking right. that. And again, that yeah, like either the dad's actually actively pushing them or they think that that's the path that they need to take. Right. Because right. their dad did it. So they feel like, well, I'm looking up to my dad. I want to do what right. he did, which right. is, you know, to, you know, which is sweet in a sense. But the same sense, like I think what kind of what you're saying, you have to want to do it. Yeah. And then also it, from a safety perspective and it team perspective right i mean you're talking about like we're just using the rangers as an example mm-hmm. you can be endangering the guy to your left and the guy to your right you know your comrades right yeah. you could be endangering them if they're you're, like you're saying you're not a good soldier you're not just putting yourself in danger but you're putting mm-hmm. potentially other people's lives in danger because you're not going to be there to help them exactly at the the way i look at a military career uh i feel at the end of the day it has to be inspirational not motivational and by that i mean it has to be organic it has to come within from within you know yeah. you, you have to be inspired by your own desires your own needs you know philosophically emotionally uh, and everything else 
if it's motivational, if you're motivated by what your dad wants or motivated by a need to measure up or motivated by getting college money or motivated because the judge gave you an opportunity to go in the military or stay out of prison, those are all at the end of the day, although you might find your inspiration through that initial kick and find out that is the life that's meant for you. At the end of the day, inspiration is what's going to carry you through because right. you can't. Uh, and that's a tenant. Uh, that's something I didn't really learn until I transitioned from uh, the Rangers to SF. And it's kind of a whole tenet of SF selection is it's we're not going to motivate you. We're not going to yell at you. Uh, we're not going to be behind you, pacing you, saying, go faster, go faster, go faster. You're going to have to inspire yourself to, to reach all these goals uh, and in doing so, prove that you're the type of person that can do that under stress, under duress, and uh, and measure up and, and be a valuable member of a team. So you got to be a self-starter instead of, like, you got to create your own, <clears throat> well, I mean, in this context, it's almost like motivation is a bad term. Not that it is, but motivation comes and goes mm-hmm. in my experience. And so, yeah, you have to create your own motivation, but you have to have that self-discipline coming from that place deeper inside you that really wants to do it. Instead of just getting, you know, motivated here and there, like, okay, yeah, let's go, go, go. And then you're not all in. All exactly. Time. Exactly. It's, and you know, you see it in, you see it in athletics, you see uh, kids who were uh, dominant athletes uh, in high school when they were motivated by uh, an amazing wrestling coach or football coach or basketball coach, whatever it might be. And then either, either in their college years or maybe even in their, in their uh, early professional years, you don't see that level of performance because what's that once that external motivation has been removed, they don't have the inspiration. They, I mean, they, they have the God given talent. They have the, you know, the, the, they have the skills, but they can't make good on it for whatever reason, you know, and you, and you, you hear about these kids all the time that have the a promising high school athlete just ran over everybody, which is absolutely amazing. And as soon as they're left to their own devices, you know, you hear all these horror stories about them getting in trouble off the field or off the court, whatever it might be. Uh, and they're just not measuring up. And it's, uh, you know, they've, they've been motivated for a long time, but once it depended on their own inspiration to reach those goals, they were distracted by other things. Yeah. I mean, you probably even see that in your own profession though, right? I mean, you know, how oh, many, sure. how many cliches are there of uh, kids going into fields such as, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, that's high paying when you talk mm-hmm. about motivation, money being the motivation there. And maybe it's because their dad's a doctor, their dad wanted them to be a successful lawyer or what, what have you, <clears throat> but it's not really what they want, right? Mm-hmm. They're just doing it for the money. And mm-hmm. then eventually they're just not going to be happy in that role. So, I mean, that's just kind of taking the same idea and just applying it to a different, different yeah, career. It, no, it, 100% correct. It, it applies to, to so many different things. If you're going to pursue medical school or law school because of a prestigious title and uh, the number of zeros before the decimal point, uh, that's not going to carry you very far because at the end of the day, it has to be a career. It has to be a life that you're committed to or you're just not going to survive. Yeah. But that career led you down a bunch of cool different paths, right? I mean, you were on the, you were on the show hunting Hitler. Yeah, yeah was. right. That's something yeah. that wasn't actually in the intro, but that you were on the show Hunting Hitler. Tell everybody a little bit if they've never seen the show, and just a little bit about what that was and how you got into that. Actually, how, how did that? Yeah, how did that? I'm actually curious myself. How did that show come about? Uh, the way the show came about is um, there uh, when 
the former Soviet Union, uh, you know, of course, when the Allies rushed into Berlin at the end of end of the war, at the close of the war, uh, found what was left of the bunker, uh, pulled everybody out of the bunker, says, where's the Fuhrer? Uh, the Soviet, former Soviet soldiers were led to a pile of a couple of remains that had been incinerated uh, with diesel fuel and said, this is Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun. Uh, they collected up these remains. They were taken to Moscow, where they resided for decades in the in the old Russian archives building in Moscow. Um, at one point uh, in the uh, early part of this century, uh, some researchers uh, wrote a report that they had gotten access to the skull, but not the lower jaw of that uh, of the, the remains that they had that were kept in a vault and were said to be those of Adolf Hitler. They did genetic analysis, as their report said, that they did genetic analysis and that it was actually a female skull. It was not a male skull. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't get access to the jawbone as per their report, so they, they, they couldn't verify that. So the, the, the question was then raised, if these are the only remains that are there, uh, are those Ava Braun uh, are those Hitler? Uh, were there any eyewitnesses? Is there any other way that we can identify these remains? And that's the first season of Hunting Hitler, which I was not on. That was largely what they were exploring for the first few episodes. Were were there any specific eyewitnesses who gave testimony who said they either saw Hitler die or saw his body immediately there afterwards? And it, it came up that there were a lot of holes in the story. That there are a lot of things that had been kind of taken for granted uh, over the decades after the war um, didn't hold up under fine scrutiny. So it wasn't it was not as open and shut a case as uh, you know, say the death of John F. Kennedy or the death of another public figure. Right. So it warranted further investigation. And uh, also, this was also fueled by the fact that. For years after the war, there had been reports uh, in, in official intelligence documents, and uh, the, the, the template for the first season was all these unclassified uh, documents, FBI reports, of re- uh, reports all around the world of sightings of Adolf Hitler uh, in other parts of Europe, in Spain, um, in various parts uh, of South America, and the premise of, se- of season one and really the entire show was – going and investigating all of these leads, finding out where they came from. Uh, could there possibly be any truth to it? What the premise being is, had Hitler faked his death, we know that he used doppelgangers. We know he used body doubles. One of the body doubles, there's a picture online. If you, if you Google uh, Hitler death picture, there's a picture of someone who looks like Adolf Hitler out in the street, not a burned body. That's one of his doubles. Uh, and if, if you click on it, it'll, it'll tell you that's one of his doubles. So we know that he used doubles. So the the premise of the show being investigating, had that been a body double uh, that was switched for Hitler, uh, how could he have possibly gotten out of Berlin, gotten out of Germany entirely, out of Europe, and ultimately ended up in South America? And uh, Gerard Williams, who was on the show, uh, journalist, he's really made this his life's work. He actually wrote uh, a book about it called Grey Wolf. Uh, where he put together all these various uh, stories of these reports, some of which uh, he was able to investigate very thoroughly. Um, I got called into the show in the second season. 
um, and actually it was because of my, my, my friendship with, uh, with Tim Kennedy, Tim and I both being, uh, former members of the seventh special forces group, uh, although at different generations, uh, Tim kind of put out to his network of friends, Hey, I'm looking, uh, I have something coming up. I can't get any details about, uh, but, uh, looking for somebody with the following qualifications. And it was, uh, a list that even within the special operations community is not, not a list of specifications that everybody would meet. And I sent him a text message and I said, I, whatever it is you're looking for, I meet all that. Uh, what's going on. He said, Hey, shoot me, a, shoot me a resume. So I emailed him a resume. He sent that on to the television studio, Cargo seven, uh, who made all three seasons of hunting Hitler. And, uh, you must've been oh, like, man, what's a, you know, just real brief, Saying, "Hey, I meet the qualifications. Hey, send me your resume." Yeah, You're like, yeah. Man, what the hell is this well, he guy did, getting in, getting into he did, here? <laughs> he did tell me. He told me it was for TV. He did in the response back. He told oh, okay. me it was for TV. So, so I responded to At that. Least you knew that much. And, yeah, and uh, and I kind of, I mean, I had seen Hunting Hitler, so I kind of figured it was it was something along those lines, either a continuation or a spinoff of some sort. Yeah. So, uh, that's cool. And a couple phone conversations and uh, Skype interviews later. Uh, bit of a long, I'm not going to draw the whole story out, but, uh, they wanted me, they didn't want me, they wanted me, they didn't want me. They picked somebody else and then came back to me. And then next thing I knew I was on a, on a, on a plane flying to Spain. So, wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's a good story though. I like that. Yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting. It was, uh, an an experience like no other. I'm really, really thankful that I had the opportunity to, to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And their kids get to say their dad's a TV star. (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I tell that I, I always tell people. Well, if, if anything, I'm a D-lister. So. <laughs> You're still on IMDb, so that's what counts, right? I am on IMDb. I do have yeah. an IMDb page. That's correct. <laughs> so, transitioning more to the the father side of it mm-hmm. um, for for all of this. So, so how did how did spending that much time? So, I mean, this you know, we we obviously talked about the fact that, and anyone hears that you talk, anyone hears you talk, they can hear this in your voice is that you're so passionate about all of the stuff that you've done, all of your career experience. And of course, rightfully so, but it's, it's greater of a calling for you than just doing four years and then getting out right. Or six years and then you're just out. Right. I mean, you're, you were in for a really long time. So (laughs) what experiences did you take and transition that into fatherhood? So you, so you, so you're back home, you're spending a lot more time with your family, you're spending time with your kids, you're developing relationships, you're helping your boys grow. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that you took from the military and instilled into your family? Or how much of it did you take from your experiences, from your backgrounds, and put into your family life? Because like you said, I mean, you had you had the example growing up. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you in other interviews, you had a stepfather, correct? When you were two years old, he, he came yeah. in the picture when you were two. Mm-hmm. So you had him, uh, a stepfather. It sounds like you had a really great relationship with him and didn't have, you know, uh, a strong presence of the military in your family. So you mm-hmm. have that side where you have just, you know, I guess if you would want to just kind of like say general term or general family upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have all of this military experience and you've seen a lot of stuff. How do you, how do you, uh, you know, I've heard of other people having that jaded sense or like viewing the world in a different way after seeing certain things. So how did you transition into family life and, and talk to your kids about that kind of stuff? Cause I'm sure they had mm-hmm. questions, but then it's just also life lessons. And I'm just <laughs> intrigued about that. 
Uh, great question. Uh, I think a lot of it for me had to do with, um, uh, I look at it in, in, in kind of two, there's kind of two piles where I, where I see it kind of in general day to day, uh, military life. If I would have gone, uh, my entire career and, you know, say I had never deployed to war, never gone to combat or never even gone, uh, to see kind of the conditions of some of the, the countries that I, that I traveled in that aren't necessarily up to first world standards. Even if I had never done that, even if I had only served stateside, I think, you know, the things that I, I try to impart to my kids just from my day-to-day interactions with my mentors and role models in the military, those who uh, made it either a positive or negative impact on me is first and foremost is respect. Um, and that's something that I've, I've really tried to impart uh, on my kids is respect, uh, respect yourself, respect others, earn the respect of others. It's not something you're just entitled to. You have to earn that respect mm-hmm. and continue to earn that. You don't get to, you never get to rest on your laurels. Um, because you know, well, I, I earned your respect in with one great, incredible act. Uh, so now I can just coast. No, it's not that way. You have to continue to earn somebody's respect, continue to be worthy of their respect. And you have to give respect to others until such a time as they do something through action or inaction that, that proves they are not worthy of that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that case, you have to have so much respect for yourself that you're not overtly uh, displaying you know, disrespect or disdain for someone. Yeah. Um, personal accountability. You know, that's because that's the big thing that, that I was taught from the time as, as a private is if, if my equipment is not clean, serviceable and the proper equipment, that's on me. Yes. My squad leader is going to check me, but I'm going to, I'm going to take an ass chewing and do some pushups. If my stuff's not ready, if I'm not physically ready, um, if, if I am technically and tactically not capable, I can't engage my targets. I'm personally and your kids know these things too, right? They, they know all these things. It's, you know, whether, you know, not, not necessarily, you know, I, I'm not necessarily teaching them how to breach doors and stuff like that, although it's come up. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, just, you know, it, to me, that translates into doing your homework or, you know, if you're going to work a job, doing your job properly. Uh, or keeping operate, your room clean. Keeping right? your room clean, operating a motor vehicle, you know, doing your personal hygiene. At the end of the day, you're personally responsible. This is, you know, there's nobody to point to. People who have personal responsibility go very far in life. People who think the world owes them something or think that uh, their current station in life is because of the action of others, uh, they don't go far in life. And again, it's, it's it's kind of the flip side of that coin of inspiration versus motivation, right? If, if I'm, if I totally survive on the motivation of others yelling at me, then, uh, then I don't deserve any credit for anything. And if I totally wallow in self-pity and saying that the demotivation of the unfair world around me has caused me to be this way, well, it's, you know, same thing. I, I don't, if, if I do rise up out of that, I don't deserve any accolades for it because I've said it's all because of external factors. And the world is the world that you create. It's not, uh, it, it, you know, pointing blame and giving credit and you have to have it both ways. You know, people who blame others for their lot in life must then, if they are successful, totally give credit to others in life. Yeah. And I tell my kids that the, it, that's not the way life is. It's at the end of the day, you're responsible. So, you know, respect, 
responsibility, uh, personal, personal accountability. Um, and, uh, a big thing for me and, and I learned is I'm actually, uh, I'm in the process of actually writing a book. Uh, and this is one of the things that I dive into very deeply. Uh, is this going to be your first book? Uh, it is going to be my first book. Nice. Congratulations. And uh, thanks. I'm about halfway through. I'm, I'm a little bit stalled right now. I'm taking a, a little bit of break before I go into the second half. But yeah, uh, one of the big things I talk about in the book, I talk about all those things, but I also talk about communication and uh, communication. For me, that's been a big key in parenting is, is communication. And, you know, military units uh, live or die uh, based on communications. And, and I think it, it, a huge portion of parenting is your kids are going to or do if as long as you're communicating with your kids and saying hey this is what i expect from you in plain terms not you know this isn't a hey guess what i'm thinking you know and it's not just about well see the example that i that i'm giving for you it's also about you know taking time out you know in 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 television we call it an in the moment you know where you turn to the camera and you go well the reason i'm doing this is because of this mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's the same with parenting you know, you, you, you take a moment, there's teachable moments throughout the day and you take that moment, you very clearly communicate to your kids, hey, this is, you know, you see this, see this is going on over here or you see what I'm doing right here. This is why. And, you know, and this is a lesson that I didn't learn to my mid 20s, but I want you to know it now. And always being very clear or striving to be very clear in my communications as to what I expect from them, uh, in my, what they should expect from me and my role as a father what uh, I expect from them in, in their role as a child and, uh, uh, and, and young men and uh, you know, getting increasing responsibilities. But at the end of the day, uh, ultimately falling under my jurisdiction, as it were. So I would yeah. say uh, all of that that I just, des- just described, you know, the respect, the personal responsibility, the communication, those are all the things that even if, uh, even if I would have only done a four-year tour in the military, never deployed anywhere, uh, those are the lessons that I would have taken. Uh, and that's, that's aside from traveling the world and, and, and being in combat and everything else. I love all that. You know, one of the things that we have to deal with today is that there's, um, there's a lot more sedentary people mm-hmm. today, right? And so I'm in the, you know, the, the health, the lifestyle and the fitness mm-hmm. world and just encouraging other people to move their bodies can be somewhat of a challenge, but being so involved in these military operations and it's not like you were just some, you know, of course, no uh, disrespect to, you know, MPs, but it's just like, you're not just some MP standing guard (laughs) somewhere. Right. I mean, you're in the fight, you're moving around, you have to keep yourself physically Mm -hmm. sharp. Um, how do you still do that one for yourself? Cause I want, I want to have other guys hear this. Mm-hmm. And then also how do you instill that physicality in, in your family in your mm-hmm. kids? And is there a routine that you guys have? Uh, do you guys do something together, whether it be outdoors, whether you have something set up in your basement or garage or, you know, what, what, I mean, and obviously you have one who's 17, mm-hmm. who's definitely able to work out even with weights now, but then you have one who's 11, who's, you know, maybe not ready for weights or he's, you know, right on the cusp or something like that. But what does that look like for you and what does that look like for them? 
Because, I mean, you've had it. Right. You had to be physically fit your whole military career, correct? Uh, absolutely. Even And also spending time with Tim. Yeah, too. yeah. Just <laughs> that, that in and of itself is uh, – yeah. It, and that's a little bit unusual because he won't uh, – it, it's uh, he, he kind of guilts you in a smiling way type thing. It's like, hey, you know, he, he yeah, does, it's this, uh, this, this was kind of pretty much a normal thing for us is we would uh, – our, our days usually started really, really early. So sometimes we would try to work out in the morning, and I prefer to work out in the morning, but it didn't always work out. So a lot of times that was in the evening. No, this is when you were doing we the show. We were doing together, the show, yeah. So we'd be – what about before yeah. that, though? Did you guys spend? I mean, did you guys work together that way too? No, right? no, no, because the really the first, you know, Tim and I had had met and we'd interacted, we'd had multiple phone conversations. But I always tell people, like the first time I was I was in a room, uh, or the first time I was sitting down next to Tim for longer than an hour period, where we actually got to interact, was actually when we were on a plane together to uh, Santiago, Chile, uh, to mm. to do the show. Because although we'd right. know, we'd known each other for a while, uh, and you know you know had texted and and communicated back and forth, we we had not you know physically been in the same space very very often because uh, Tim and I were different generations in seventh group. Uh, we very briefly had some over overlap at a gym where we trained uh, at uh, Greg Thompson's uh, Team Rock in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, and then in moving to Texas. Uh, I actually got his contact info from a mutual friend, uh, which is the way we started conversing. And it was uh, about the time that I was starting out working uh, as a ringside physician and cage-side physician. I wanted to get uh, his perspective on some stuff. Um, and we had a lot okay. of conversations. And then you know, kind of kept in touch after that. And we're, of course, friends on social media. Uh, ran into him at a couple of uh, MMA events where he was, uh, he was cornering uh, Colton Smith, a mutual friend of ours, uh, and some, yeah. a couple other times. But really, the longest time we ever spent together, and the only time we traveled together, uh, was uh, was on the show. So you know, yeah, For the show, and, yeah. Uh, like you say. So how do you so how do you keep yourself healthy now, or how do you keep yourself fit? Now? Um, it's it's challenging. It's it does get challenging as you get as you get older. Um, I'm actually right now. So this. I started about a week ago and this is going to stretch for me till the end of February. I had a, I had a really bad period during the holidays, uh, as most people do, uh, you know, largely self-inflicted, but had some factors there as well. Um, so I'm, I'm getting back on the horse now. And for me, what it consists of is I do uh, pretty vigorous cardio, um, every morning, uh, which currently for me, that's the, the Peloton bike. Um, uh, and then I'll do something, something uh, in the line of functional fight fitness in the evening, whether that's going to my garage and hitting the heavy bag or of course, Tuesday and Thursdays, uh, I'm going to jujitsu. Uh, uh, now, were you going while you were, were you sick over the holidays? Uh, I did or? get sick over the holidays and, uh, and yeah. I traveled. So it was a kind of combination of things. So, so do you take, do you allow to take your time, take some time off? You know, because like um, my son and I were actually – this is our second go-around of mm -hmm. reading The Way of the Warrior Kid by Jocko mm -hmm. Willink, mm -hmm. right? And there's a part in the book that we were actually just reading yesterday where the main character, Mark, who's 10 years old, says, you know, I'm tired and I've been doing a lot of this and that. And I've been doing jiu-jitsu and pull-ups and yada, yada, yada. And he's like – and his Uncle Jake's encouraging him to just keep mm -hmm. going. 
just keep going don't stop mm-hmm. you know and i and you know you hear you hear jocko on his podcast for you know if, if people listen to that and i've heard i've heard a number of them but you know i think the the general thing with jocko is like just get after it don't take a rest mm-hmm. day just just try one more mm-hmm. day and then if you really need to rest then do it yeah. right so i i do get his message and i get his point but then of course people have that zero to 100 mentality right. and they hear jocko's message and they're like just go man like and even if they feel their body breaking down they just feel like they got to push through it and man up and do all mm-hmm. this stuff so it's like you know did you still go to jujitsu did you still do your workouts like you know we, especially with the mental capacity of how you've had to push mm-hmm. yourself in your military career how does that now transfer over into civilian life and the way you treat your body now? Uh, it's, it's a little bit, it, it's become a little bit more difficult, especially as I've gotten older. And I know that in the way my recovery has changed, but I can yeah. tell you this is that is the, the great thing about, about Jocko's philosophy. And, and I agree with this is if, if you plan rest days, you'll end up doing more rest days. Because life is going to give, give you unplanned rest days for, for whatever reasons, external requirements, right, or, or illness or injury, whatever it might be. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why I tell people it's perfectly okay to plan, well, I'm, I'm going to do something every day, right? And I get, I get emails about people, you know, hey, I th- do you think I'm overtraining? And this guy sent me a seven-day routine. I was like, absolutely, you're overtraining. Um, some people train very successfully seven days a week for weeks and months on end. Some people can do that. Um, so most people's body requires a little bit more rest. So what I think Jocko's philosophy kind of is, hey, just plan to work out every day. And then unnegotiable, non-negotiable roadblocks will come up on certain days that you can't do it. And boom, there was your rest day. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So th- that's just going to kind of happen naturally. That's that's actually what I did this last week is uh, uh, I didn't plan. My my plan was uh, I'm going to do heavy cardio or semi heavy cardio uh, every day. And my my plan was actually to do that up until uh, next Friday uh, where I've I've got some time requirements that I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. So all total, I was going to have 14 uninterrupted days uh, of of working out without a break. Yeah, Uh, that was my plan. So, uh, that's what I did is, is a, and then I ended up having, uh, after the seventh day, I ended up having, uh, a kind of an unplanned break in that because of the, because of some external requirement stuff that prevented me from doing, having to get up and immediately be somewhere. Yeah. But, I like but that you can, with not planning rest days. I really like that. Yeah. Cause you can adjust to that and you can, and you can have, I think, planning active recovery days is a lot better idea. And I think you get a lot more longevity out of it. And, uh, you know, that's, that can mean, well, I do six days a week of some type of two a days. And when I, and two a days for me are not like they were, uh, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, two a days for me meant, uh, a five to eight mile run in the morning and then lifting in the afternoon. Um, and I don't, it's not structured like that anymore. So typically for me, when a uh, long, long story, but the, I, I, the gym where I go actually is, is changing locations. And so they're completely shut down right now, but, uh, oh. they're going to be reopening in March, which is why I'm doing basically a cardio month kind of leading up to that. But yeah, basically, so what two a days are going to mean for me 
uh, on it when I'm when I'm not disrupted. Uh, it means four days a week I'm going and I'm doing whatever my trainer tells me to do, which uh, usually involves CrossFit like. Uh, exercise. It's not a CrossFit gym, but you know, if you if you see video of me doing the routines that he has me doing, they're not unlike CrossFit. So, right. Uh, so doing something like that in the morning, four days out of the week, and then on uh, those evenings, I'm usually doing uh, kickboxing, uh, jujitsu, uh, or an MMA class. Now, That's will you for... work out in the morning that day, and maybe consider that yeah. two a days where you're you're getting up, yeah, you're but working I, out in the morning, but I'm... then you go to jujitsu at night. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is I do yeah, – okay. I do. I'm still – it's two a days, but unlike when I was younger where it's like just uh, you know paint peeling cardio in the morning and then lifting to complete muscle <laughs> failure in the evening, which is what yeah. I did you know, six days a week in my younger days. Now it's a functional fitness in the morning and then the practicality of that in the evening, right? So right. the practicality is how fit am I? Let's find out by how well I roll, how well I spar everything else. That's four yeah. days a week. And then the other three days a week for me are typically, uh, one a day long cardio. And, if, and, and I plan that as a seven day workout routine, but inevitably what ends up being happened is one of those days will get interrupted. Right. So right. it ends up being six, six days over the course of a few months. It ends up being an average of six out of those seven days. And I got some rest days in there. Um, sure. But there's no reason because of the workouts that I'm doing, because I'm not getting a lot of extended cardio uh, when I do my strength and fitness routines in the morning. Uh, when I'm doing jujitsu or unboxing or whatever it is, it's usually more uh, high intensity interval type stuff. So for those other three days, getting on a stationary bike and, and pedaling for an hour or getting on a treadmill or going outside and running for 45 minutes, I'm working my body. I'm working different pathways. Uh, you know, different, uh, you know, working the cardio aspect of it a little bit more, the long-term endurance of it a little bit more. Um, so because it's different, your, your body can tolerate that a little bit more. Yeah. And what about your kids? So for my kids, uh, my, my oldest, uh, is yeah, he, genetically, I don't even think he has to work out. I don't know how he didn't <laughs> inherit that from me. So he's my height, but he's a very, very lean build. Um, he'll typically, when, when my kids are with me, typically he'll, Hey dad, can I use your, can I use your weights? I'm like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So, you know, he'll use my, my dumbbells, my barbells, uh, and my kettlebells and, and do what he wants to do. Um, he you doesn't have, have whole, to do a, like a whole gym at your house. No, nah, not, not so much, but I've got enough that you can do kind of general maintenance type stuff. Uh, that's good. Yeah, that's my nice. youngest will, uh, he'll, he'll get up with me early in the morning if I say, Hey, uh, and I've, I've had him on the road before we, we did a thing, uh, not, uh, uh, I think it was a little over a year ago where we went to, uh, to six flags, we're staying in a hotel and I said, Hey, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go downstairs. And I, and I brought my own kettlebell with me. I said, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to do a, uh, some, some burpees and some kettlebell stuff down in the, in the workout room downstairs. And my youngest went with me and he got on a treadmill and on a, and on a bike while I was doing that. And he's done that when he comes here too. I have a, a treadmill and a Peloton bike. He's never done the Peloton, but he'll get on the treadmill. Um, nice. Now you mentioned real quick, you mentioned, um, early in the morning. What's early for you guys? Uh, well, something like that. If we're going to like, Hey, we're going to six flags today. So we want to get there at a, you know, at a decent time. That's, that's usually I'm, I'm getting up. You know, I don't want to get up too early don't tell, but about, you know, 6am or something like that. I, that was one thing, even in 32 years in the military, I hate getting up early. So, <laughs> giving, given my druthers, if it's up to me, 
Uh, I'll sleep till I wake up naturally with no alarm clock. Uh, you know, get up, get out of bed. You know, first thing I do when my feet hit the ground every day is I drink 16 ounces of water immediately. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, you know, brush my, brush my teeth, feed the dogs and then, all right, let's get some cardio done. So, or, you know, when, you know, come, come March when my gym's back open again. All right. You know, let's, you know, mix my, my post-workout protein shake, jump in the car and, uh, and head over to the gym to do my workout for the day. Yeah. I like that. So your 11 year old to go downstairs and, and do that with you. Do either one of them do jujitsu with you? No, that's been, uh, be, you know, because, uh, they, they of course live in San Antonio and, uh, my, my oldest kind of got a little bit soured to martial arts. Um, a few years ago, he had a, uh, longtime friend and classmate that was doing martial arts whose uh, mother was friends with his mother, uh, convinced each other hey let's you know this would be a great thing for him to go do and he did that for a couple of years it was at uh, a kind of a strip mall mcdojo type place that Mm -hmm. uh, exactly the type of place anybody who listens to my podcast when i talk about the type of martial arts place that you should avoid like literally all the red flags were there you know, not, not like, not like this is sketchy, going to steal your money or, you know, something bad. What are kids. two of those red flags? What are two? So a uh, big red flag is uh, you can't tell you're, you're, you're three clicks into their website and you still have no idea what martial art they teach. Okay. That's, that's a huge red flag. Uh, yep. Second red flag is everything that has to do with their website is all about is is all about kids classes just about kids classes and that's not i go into it in depth on my on on my podcast but that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing that they're teaching the kids classes obviously in kids classes anybody who anybody who's listening to this who runs a martial arts academy right now they're they're not going to nod their head when i say this kids classes are what keep the lights on that's how you pay the bills 100 percent. okay um but Usually what that means in a lot of places, not necessarily everywhere, is a lot of that stuff is is watered down and it's it's daycare dance class for about an hour. It's not practical martial arts. And yeah. my oldest, I think he was really craving the, the practical martial arts thing. Like if he would have been putting on gloves and headgear and sparring or grappling and sparring, I think that would have kept him interested for a lot longer period of time. But he he advanced. He did that for a while. Advanced, got his kid's black belt, and I'm making air quotes because I have a, a <laughs> I have a I have a problem with the fact that there that there is such a thing uh, to yeah. begin with. I've seen twelve year olds. Yeah, the twelve year old black belts. So watch out. You know, if you, yeah. I mean, like, but mom and dad on. got just because you could do just because you can go through the katas right. and and memorize some right. stuff and you're a good test taker it does not right mean... <laughs> which. You yeah. know what I mean? Katas is is it's it's the martial arts version of LARPing, basically. Because <laughs> <It's... Right. laughs> I did the Kempo yeah. thing when I was younger, you know, and nothing against that because you know I I think it's it, it helps you with discipline, right? And you know you're you have a little bit of camaraderie with the people in your class. There's definitely a little competitive mm-hmm. edge, uh, competitive edge atmosphere, all that stuff. And of course, there's you know there's definitely a little physical stuff to it, you know, kicking mm-hmm. and punching and all that kind of stuff. But when you like you said, you hit the nail on the head with the word mm-hmm. practical. Like it has to be practical. Why are they right. there? I mean, they can learn discipline and a lot of other right. things. But if they're there to learn how to defend themselves, and then they get into a situation where they need to defend themselves, and they figure out 
oh shit, I can't use this, or what do I do now because they're trying to remember a right. kata? That does nope. not work. No, absolutely. You, you know what I mean? You and then it. your kid's going to come home with a bloody nose, and you're going to say, well, did you do your rising right. sun? And, you know, and uh, spin kick or something like that. It's like, you know. Yeah, on. exactly. That's, uh, uh, it's, you, you nailed it. <laughs> and that, and because, <laughs> of, because of that, I, this is kind of the long way around in, in telling this, but, uh, my oldest, he, he's kind of soured on martial arts a little bit. And so when I talked to him about, Hey man, I'd like to get you, I'd like to get you into jujitsu. He's like, ah, I just, you know, that's giving up, you know, going two days a week and, you know, giving up an hour of my time. You know, I did that for a few years and I didn't, I came out the other end and I, I, I didn't see the, the upside to it. And also, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little bit different too. If, if, uh, you know, if he was here, if we were co-located and, and I could say, well, we're going together, you know, that, that's one thing, but, uh, I trying to, trying to push that off when somebody else is going to be managing it. Uh, it, that's it's, true. It, you know, that's a little bit different. You know, I, I you know, I can't, I can't send down, down an, an edict that, you know, they, you know, thou shalt do jujitsu. And, uh, you know, you're, you know, you <laughs> yeah. two, you're living two hours away from me and, uh, and everything else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just got to, you know, just hopefully he opens himself up and not, and not see all martial arts as, as equal mm-hmm. or, or putting them all in the same category. It's like if he dates a girl with blonde hair and she turns out to be mm-hmm. a bitch and then he just puts all blondes in that category. That would be a mistake. Know? That would, uh, that would, that would be wrong. Would be, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, he, yeah. uh, Miles is very, very focused, uh, on his, his academics. He's actually, uh, ranked 24th in his, in his senior class of 700. So, uh, and he's, wow. he's, he's awesome. hyper, hyper, hyper focused on that. So, uh, not that he's not athletic cause it, cause he is, he played, he played, he played freshman football and, uh, and just to look at him, you can tell he's an athletic kid, but that's, that's not yeah. his focus. And, uh, well, if he knew that, if he knew that jujitsu was like human chess, he might actually be a little bit more drawn to it because if he, if he likes using his mm-hmm. brain in that way, I mean, obviously you're looking at things and thinking about things while you're mm-hmm. doing jujitsu. Cause my son and I, we do it. He's six mm-hmm. and a half. And, uh, like you mentioned, your days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. Ours are Mondays and Wednesdays. Yeah. And then sometimes we try to get a Saturday in there, depending. Um, but, you know, he, he likes it a lot, but then it's just helping him think about different mm-hmm. things, too, or seeing things a couple, a couple moves mm-hmm. ahead or what might happen if I do this. So for someone who's that intellectual mm-hmm. um, and that smart, mm-hmm. I mean, he might actually get some enjoyment out of it because he's using his brain. Too. Yeah, it's uh, my I'm, I'm kind of hoping that once uh, once his freshman year of college is behind him, I've actually without telling him I've already scoped out a, a, a good place for him to train where I'm pretty sure he's going to be going to college. So, uh, I figured, you know, get, get all the freshman jitters out of the way. And once you're in a, in a good routine and you definitely about that, that time, second year of college, when you, you need that type of outlet, uh, I'm going to see if I can, uh, maybe convince him to start it, start that in earnest. And, I actually think uh, think the youngest is going to be a little bit more open to it, and it's a conversation that he and I have already started to have. And I think uh, the the next time he's up with me for an extended period of time, I'm just going to start taking him to class with me, and uh, see how that goes for him. That's awesome. How often do you get to see them? Uh, it's it ends up being about uh, I, one weekend every month, uh, just because of the the geographical, because of the drive. And I'd like to shoot for two, but unfortunately, again, because of either either I have a job job requirement that that knocks the weekend out, or they have a, a school project, or 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 some other stuff on on 
that side of their family that knocks stuff out. So it ends up being a weekend a month. And then, of course, yeah. you know, extended time uh, over vacation. I had them for a uh, little over a week over the Christmas holidays, and then uh, I'll have them for, uh, for a couple of weeks every summer. So That's awesome. And then you know, that's actually one of the blessings of technology, right? Because you can actually still see them over over a screen, you know, if, if you're able to, you know, if they're able to talk to you FaceTime or Skype or whatever that is. I mean, that's a good, a blessing, you know, that we're able to have. Yeah, nowadays. and they're both old enough that they both have phones too. So we can, you know, we text back and forth during the day and everything else. You, you know, probably that uh, that aspect of our relationship is probably a lot like, you know, parents whose kids are living under the same roof. You know, they're, you know, they're texting me or my, both of them have a very similar sense of humor uh <laughs> to mine and uh you know they'll uh, they'll see things or you know uh, memes or whatever that they know that i'll find funny and they'll, they'll text it to me during the day or i'll see something take a picture and text it to them so yeah nice all right mike um we're getting towards the towards the end here, but as with every episode, uh, I end with ten questions for okay. our guests, and these questions were inspired by James Lipton. <laughs> oh and God, Hugo. James Lipton. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm so ready. ready? Get it. Who is your hero? <sighs> Who is my hero? Uh, my wife is my hero because I think the hardest job in the world is uh, is putting up with me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is is uh, my my wife is so amazing, and I you know I volunteered to to put myself in danger when I when I joined the military. Um, she volunteered to love me unconditionally, not necessarily everything that went went along with that. So uh, you know the fact that she dealt with that as a as an outstanding military spouse and never you know her that her lip never quivered and you know she was always. You know, even to the point of uh, when I got when I got a phone call and was getting on a plane twelve hours later to fly from Texas uh, to link up at Fort Bragg to get on a plane, uh, and I knew it was going because I was watching the news when I got the call, and uh, we were in a brand new house that not even everything was was ready to go yet, and that she put up with that. Uh, and never questioned it. You know, that's, uh, you know, wow. she's, she's truly heroic. That's awesome. What excites you? Uh, the future excites me. Every day excites me because you know, every day is better than the last. It really is. Every, everything you reflect back on all the great things that have, have, have gone behind you. And every day there's new challenges and every day things are just getting better and better regardless of what the news says, regardless of what people say or social media says, this world really is getting better and better every day. And that excites me. Nice. What turns you off? Negativity, negativity and lack of personal responsibility. I think people that blame, I think blamers are worse than haters. You know, when it's, uh, you know, hey, I, I'm this way because of this, or I'm this way, you know, people that make excuses, I've got, I've got no time for that. Yeah. What is your favorite sound? Uh, my favorite sound. Laughter is my favorite sound. Although, although, your although least favorite? a close, oh. a close second is, uh, the minigun out, out, out of the, out of the starboard <laughs> window of a Chinook as you're coming off target. That's a very close <laughs> second. Very close second. It's very yeah, specific yeah. too. Yeah. Does that sound anything like laughter? 
it kind of does. It sounds like maniacal, <laughs> maniacal laughter of the. It sounds like the the laughter of Ares, the god of war. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is your least favorite sound? Whining. No, I mean not not crying, not like human tears, but whining. Just, you know, that's I can't stand it. What is your favorite quote or saying? My favorite quote or saying. Oh gosh. Um, Man, if you hadn't asked me that, I would I would have something ready because I do quotes on the podcast every time, and and I have so many. I think uh, Miyamoto, the one I did on the very first episode, Miyamoto's Musashi's uh, quote of uh, "Today is today is your victory over yourself. Tomorrow is your victory over lesser men." I think uh, I think that's the one that that kind of sticks with me the most. uh, Would be that one because that's the one that tends to come up the most. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to have to rewind that yeah. and write that one down. In a couple words, what should a dad be? Um, present. I th- and, I, and by that, I don't mean, you know, physically you can't always be present. But, uh, you know, so I'm, so I'm not saying as a dad, hey, if you're geographically separated or, you know, you're uh, legally <laughs> separated from your kids, you know, that, that you're a bad dad. But uh, yeah. being present in your mind, that uh, in your actions, that you know you're not you're not just who you are. You're a father, so you know be aware of that and be aware of the obligations, um, because it is, uh, you know, I, I've had a lot of titles I was proud to earn in in my lifetime. Sergeant, you know, being uh, you know ranger, sergeant, doctor, major, but dad is is monumental. And so I, I think being being present and aware of that is, is very important. I'm glad you expanded upon that. I like that. In a couple words, what should a dad not be? Um, let's see. He should not be – he should not take it for granted. Um he should not ever, ever under any circumstances be resentful to those duties because remember, they didn't ask, they didn't ask for that. Okay. If anything, you asked for that. So don't ever be, uh, you know, resentful of the, the time that it takes. Um, and, and don't ever be, just as I said, presence was important, you know, be present. Don't ever be absent. And by that, I don't mean physically, but, you know, be available, be that lifeline when they, when they need to reach out and they need advice, be engaged in that. So don't be disconnected, I guess is probably the, the one word that I could say, it. you know, whether you're physically present or not, don't be disconnected from your duties as a father and from, uh, you know, the things that you can give to your children as a father. Yeah, I like that. You've done a lot of them, but if you could try any other profession, what would it be? You know, I I often think that if I could uh, if I could turn back time uh, and start jujitsu at an earlier earlier age, I would have liked to have tried uh, fighting at least on at least on an amateur level. Um, and there, I, I entertained the idea of a law enforcement career at one point, and I've never and I didn't do that. And I think, uh, you know, that's something. If I could if I could dial down thirty years of life, uh, or to even twenty years of life. 
um, it might be worthwhile, uh, you know, to do that. Cause I think it's an incredibly important job and, uh, a thankless job for the most part. I, I don't mm-hmm. think, I, I don't think our men and women in law enforcement get enough credit. And, uh, uh, I think it's, I think it's important. And I think the idea of, of, of community policing is really important. I've talked about that before. So, yeah. yeah so I would, I would say, you know, on, on a kind of a smaller scale, uh, an, an amateur MMA career or something that I would have liked to have tried and, uh, and a career in law enforcement. Yeah. It's interesting. You say a thankless career. Um, just because I, every police officer that my son and I see or, um, veteran, you know, wearing a hat or mm-hmm. military personnel, um, you know, if you could tell, obviously, that they're active duty, mm-hmm. uh, my son always goes up and says, thank you for your service. Oh, it's, and you're, ra- you're raising a fine young man there. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And he and they really appreciate it, too. Yeah. You know, the, just oh, yeah. the look on some people's face and just and you can tell that it's having an impact on them and they'll stop and actually talk to him or get mm-hmm. down on his level and shake his hand and say, mm-hmm. thank you so much. And um, it's yeah, it's just uh, and, and sometimes I'll say to him because he might not know. I was like, Jimmy. That, that that person over there, they're in the they're in the military, mm-hmm. and he just looks at me. He's like, "Oh, okay, Dad, hold, hold on a second. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, yeah, he's it's it's cool to see. And finally, what would you like to be remembered for? Uh, more than anything, I just uh, I I'd say being a man of his word. That's uh, you know, it's. Uh, Military accomplishments aside, you know, things I did medically uh, aside, um, you know, I just, I've always lived by the, you know, the credo of uh, do what you say and say what you do, you know, type thing. And, and I just want to be remembered, you know, when people talk about me when I'm not there, you know, whether they're saying, hey, you know, he's, he's a short, slow, fat, whatever, you know, but hey, but he's a man of his work, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because at the end of the day. You could, if you lose everything else, that's all you've got left, right? Is, is your word. You know, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you tell somebody you're going to you're going to be there for them. So, you know, I I want my friends, uh, those around me, to say, hey, when when he said this, he meant it. You know, patience, patience, and patience. Family members that I've had, you know, that's when when I go into the room and I tell them something, I don't I don't lie to patients. I don't sh- I don't sugarcoat it, which is maybe caused some, some problems in the past, same in, in business dealings. And that's when, it, when I'm in a meeting, uh, they know that I'm going to say my honest opinion. And it's when I was uh, chief of the department of emergency medical center, med- medicine at Fort hood. And I went into department chiefs meetings. Everybody knew that I, I may say something that everybody in the room disagreed with, but it was my honest opinion. And, right. uh, you know, I was never, I was never going to go along to get along or, you know, agree, agree to a bad idea that I thought was a bad idea. You know, and I always told my commanders, I say, yeah, if you, I, I think that's, I think that's the absolute wrong thing to do. You order me to do it and I will hundred percent do it and I will give a hundred percent in it, but, uh, I don't agree with it. And here's why. So, yeah. so yeah, being, I think being remembered as somebody who is just a, a man of his word, I think is uh, okay. of the utmost importance to me. That's great. Mike, tell everybody where they can find out a little bit about you and also you have this book coming out. So depending on when people are listening to this, either it's already out or it's still not out. But tell people where they can maybe even find out about it. If you have a website, uh, you mentioned the podcast a bunch, a bunch of times. Tell people where they can listen to that um, uh, you know, where, where, and also where they can follow you on social media. Okay. Uh, so the so I'm, I'm actually uh, 
not on social media right now. Congratulations. Uh, probably, uh, uh, yeah. Prob- Congratulations. Probably by March, uh, that will change, and I'll go back on social media. My uh, my Twitter and Instagram, which are currently inactive, were Doctor Mike Simpson, uh, Dr. You know, uh, spelled Dr. My Facebook was Doctor Mike Simpson all the way out. Um, I did just recently, over the last couple of days, register the domain name DrMikeSimpson.com. So, and that's in preparation for. Uh, the book and preparation for some other television projects that I'm probably going to have coming up. Um, but that's not active yet. <laughs> you can, but you can continue to search it in the future. Um, you can find, uh, if, if you want to follow me, see what I'm doing and, and know when I've reactivated my social media, know when my book is out and my uh, uh, website has gone live. If you go to whatever you're using, uh, Podbay, Stitcher, iTunes, Outcast, Spotify, whatever it might be. Um, and the name of my podcast is Mind of the Warrior. Um, uh, new episodes drop every Monday. Uh, if you uh, follow me on the podcast, uh, I'll, I'll keep everybody up to date on that information. But right now, that's kind of my only communication with the outside world, so to speak, is on uh, the Mind of the Warrior podcast. Okay. Awesome. The mind or just mind of the warrior? Uh, just just mind of the warrior. Right. So, okay. That's yeah. what I had. Yeah. So just wanted to make sure that was good in the notes. Yeah, because I'm going to be linking all of that up. Um, so again, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe drmikesimpson.com will be active. And if it is, um, it should be in the, in the link below. So you can follow Dr. Mike on there, listen to Mind of the Warrior podcast. Um, you also ran for quite a while. I guess it's shut down now, but uh, Sheepdog Response podcast. You did a bunch of yeah. uh, episodes on that. They're actually all in the same feed because the way the, the iTunes feed works is my, my podcast started out as Mind of the Warrior. Then it was the, uh, the Sheepdog Project. Now it's back to Mind of the Warrior again. But all of the old episodes are still there in the feed. So the episodes okay. that I did, that Tim and I did together and – and all the you know the episodes I did remotely uh, with with the company Sheepdog Response, they're all still there. Yeah, because I think you did what like seven first, or uh, I don't know how many it was, but yeah, Mind of the Warrior podcast was like X amount, and then it goes to Sheepdog, and right now back to that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's amazing stuff there. I love a lot of the interviews that you guys have done. I've just listened to them over and over again. So um, it's great stuff that you're putting out there, Mike. I really appreciate you time, taking the time to come on the Warrior Dads podcast. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people will get a lot from this interview. So, again, just thank you so much and also uh, thank you for your service. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Have a great one, Mike. All right. You too. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again and keep on being a Warrior Dad.